Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson with Common Core Psychology Services, and I'm glad you're here. And I'm really glad this week to be joined by Michelle Benio. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm... I'm excited to to hang out in a in a space today that that's not easy. I, I one of the things I do with my work is really try to offer supports for parents to have hard conversations, you know, and mm-hmm. to to figure out how to show up for kids who are navigating things or walking different paths than the parents themselves walked. And um, today we're going to be talking about uh, parenting through grief and supporting children who've lost siblings, young children um, in particular, but but parenting and being in a family, being in the head of the family uh, after significant, unthinkable loss for most of us. So mm-hmm. um, well, I always ask, I let guests sort of let us know, let my listeners know, how do you end up in this chair with me today? What brings you to the seat to have this conversation? 
Okay, well, um, being a mom is is what brought me here. I actually became a mom in my mid-30s, so I was an older mom, and I had a career, um, but when I had my first child, I had a teaching background, and I decided that I really wanted to work with parents here in Minnesota. We have early childhood parent education in all of our school districts, and I thought I wanted to do that as an educator. So I went back and got my master's in family education and became a parent educator and got to spend every day with uh, children and parents in that early childhood age. and. Uh, after my son, I had my daughter and I, I was doing this work and thought it was perfect. I loved it. Got to have conversations every day about being a mom. But then at the age of four and a half, my son was diagnosed with cancer. My daughter was 15 months old. And as much as I knew and was learning and felt confident about um, and even wise about raising young children, I did not know how to go through this journey. So I just um, did my best parenting through it, spent my days with these other parents. And then when my son died after a two and a half year journey with cancer and his sister was three and a half, she actually said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. And I was a mom who loved being a mom, who loved uh, parenting and was facing this detour that I knew nothing about of having a child who said half of me is gone and me knowing her lifetime was ahead of her and growing up with half of her gone was not okay. I could not just uh, let that be her sense of identity and self growing up. And so how was I going to do something about this? And I should mention that this was uh, 22 years ago, actually. My son died in 2000. And uh, at that time, you know, we didn't have the internet like we do now um, or uh, Facebook groups or, or um, you know, experts online, but I thought I'm in the field. I will go find the people who are doing this work, helping families with this. And I really didn't find anyone who was helping me in the way that I wanted. I wasn't looking for a therapist. I didn't need grief therapy. I needed parenting support informed by the fact that our family was going to carry this loss and this grief forward for the rest of our lives and that my daughter uh, uh, now had an identity that you know that none of her peers and none of the other adults in her life uh, understood or had a sense of so I just had to figure it out on my own make my way through it um, I feel like the fact that I was already in this field, of course, gave me a, a foundation that helped me uh, recognize some of the things that were important and build on them. And I kind of knew back then that whatever I came up with, I was going to have to share with other parents. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize was that it was really going to take me raising her to adulthood, to graduation, in order for me to be able to step into other people's journeys. And so now I started Good Grief Parenting to help parents with that uh, when my daughter graduated from high school. And that's the work that I'm doing now is just helping parents recognize how little ones grieve and how that grief grows and evolves with them and just how impactful that sibling relationship is. So that's the work that I'm doing now, all informed by 
my daughter's statement. Wow. I mean, I really, I really appreciate how that just weaves together so many different mm-hmm. pieces. And to your point, I know I often sit with other clinicians and and parents, particularly about the, the littles, you know, about school mm-hmm. age kids under nine or 10 in terms of, you know, typically you'll find a book, like one picture story book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard because it's, as you, I'm sure you're learning, it's hard to take a process as big as grief across mm-hmm. the lifespan and turn it into sound bites. And yet there are some fundamental, there are some, I'm imagining, there are some foundational mm-hmm. tips. Like, like what are some things that's, that you, in this, this snapshot of, of something you'd like to offer to parents who are navigating this? What would you like them to, to know about good grief parenting and counseling? What are some things they can hang on to? What I'd like them to know is, first of all, that grief is good. We think grief is this horrible, big, gray cloud. Oh, my gosh. I have a three and a half year old. She had a happy childhood with her brother. And now we have this this cloud. And how can we as a family ever be happy again? That's how it feels to lose those dreams for your family and to lose your child. And so how on earth can anyone tell you grief is good? And grief is good because loss is a normal human experience. It is very, very painful. We know we're all going to experience it. And by going straight through grief, which is our normal, natural, biological, physiological, emotional, intellectual response to loss, going straight through it is how we learn um, skills for dealing with loss and hardship and adversity in life. And, and as parents, we, we come into it, first of all, thinking, I don't know how I'm going to ever do this and get through it. We come in thinking, I don't have any idea how to do this or what to do. And we are intimidated by, um, having a child that we're responsible for in this place and thinking, I don't want to upset this child. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say anything. A lot of times parents say they look like they're doing fine. So I'm sure they are. And so then they don't talk to the kids. So here's where I start with good grief parenting. And the the first two pieces are recognizing that grief is good and that most of the things that we learn about dealing with grief are really work against that idea and are really more or less hindering our healing because we're kind of told, you know, don't talk about your grief. People don't like to hear about it. It, it, you know, it upsets people. It makes people uncomfortable. As a parent, as an adult, you should be strong. Don't let kids see you crying. Don't let them, you know, it's weak to to cry. Um, You don't want to upset the kids. All of these messages that make us not process grief out in the open in a healthy way. And so the first thing that, you know, I wanted to just help parents help kids. But what I quickly learned was I needed for parents to, first of all, examine what they learned when they were those littles 
about grief and how that was um, informing how they were then interacting with their kids. And they didn't learn how to how to process grief or, or help kids with it. So how can they do it? So just helping them realize that grief isn't this thing to avoid. Talking about it, being open about it. When you cry, telling your child, oh, yes, I'm, I'm really missing David right now. Um, it, it really hurts to be without him. We're going to we're going to get through this, though. We're going to be OK, you know, always with that recognition that this is a process that we're going to be OK through. And the other thing is um, recognizing that what children need is information and they need it from you. They need for it to be true information, child appropriate. Not a lot of details, uh, but honest information and the ability for them to tell you, I feel sad too. I really miss David. I wish he were here to play with. Um, if we just start our grieving in our family with little ones this way, where we are admitting that we're going through this, mm -hmm. saying that we're going through it together and where it hurts, but it won't always hurt this badly, we'll get through it and talking about it, you're setting the foundation for your family through all of the years ahead when that child is going to uh, increase in understanding about what this loss means to them. You know, my daughter's middle school years were some of the hardest for her when all of her peers had siblings and she didn't and there were tensions and conflicts and they had their siblings on their side and she didn't have anyone. You know, these things just bring it all front and center again. But if you started when they're young, just being open about it, um, then it grows with your family and you don't have this big gray elephant in the room. Well, and I think to your point too, it's so interesting, right? That that there's this, to, to me, somebody who's not had the lived experience of um, losing a child, that that I would imagine that, or a metaphor that comes to mind is the sense that if we go there, if we actually experience there, we'll never re-ravel again. Like I would yes. just unravel to the point where I'm not going to be able to show up in life in person because the depths of that kind of loss are virtually unfathomable, right? And so this fear that yes. if I let go at all, then it's going to I'm going to flood and that's yeah. the end of it. And, like, I won't ever close those floodgates again. And then and, and so much of what we do in the work with child psychology is helping kids and, and the adults that surround them that were kids yeah. yes <laughs> and that and that recognize it's it's both and you can mm -hmm. be really hurting and going to be okay you can you can mm -hmm. do both of those things and it's a gift to offer kids both of those to simply say we're fine it's great without recognizing doesn't serve crazy making for kids in the it is crazy sense. making <laughs> it's crazy sick and and to notice if you really are in your deepest grief, it's it's okay for your kids to um, to see that, to feel it, to have you model it, and you'll know if you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is act. Then then you take yourself, then you tag in exactly. your friend, your neighbor, grandma. Mm -hmm. So well, you can go and take your space with an adult. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea that you can model and tell me if I'm wrong, like model for kids that there's sadness, that you're grieving, you have emotions that they don't need to take care of. 
Exactly. And that sometimes that is just the way we have to feel. Part of this message is not giving kids the message that when they hurt, we have to make them feel better. Sometimes you just can't. And that's part of life. And when they learn that as a child and they see that, you know, mom breaks down and sobs and she's just, you know, so feeling so much pain, but then she's better and she's okay. And I don't have to be scared because she's still able to take care of me because they, you know, they have these ideas when they see you being this way, they can worry and you can just say, oh, I know I'm sad, honey, but don't worry. I'm okay. And I'm still here and I'm taking care of you and and we will we will get through this and we'll feel better for them to see the reality everything you said Laura was just absolutely spot on and um you know and I think that is so important for parents to recognize these kids have big feelings and they need to be acknowledged instead of um you know, trying to make them happy. One of the things we often do when kids are sad is say, oh, let's go make your favorite cookies or let's go have some ice cream. And you, you that isn't helping kids to um, really acknowledge and have their feelings validated and saying, yeah, I, I can understand that you're sad about that right now. Or yes, you're, you're going to miss your brother a lot. He was with you all the time. He was your best friend. Yes, it's hard to be without him. It's hard for me to be without him, um, you know, acknowledging the reality of, of what they're feeling. Yeah. And, and also, I think, too, I would imagine the, the some semblance of, of routine, like not over routines, you're not going to run a boot camp, but but kids, mm-hmm. kid brain, I would imagine, is going mm-hmm. is going to worry like if mom's a little messy messy emotionally or if mom's distracted like mm-hmm. am I gonna get dinner like is the bus gonna pick exactly. me up tomorrow morning yeah. am I gonna ha- still have to feed the cat like they they just their world is often repetitious it is mm-hmm. it, it is like they're they are going to need reassurance that that it might be bumpy. And mm-hmm. you're going to take mm-hmm. care of them. This is what mm-hmm. won't change. This won't change. This won't change. This won't change. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, Absolutely. That's their security. Their routine is their security. And that really is the thing. And I will say that, no, you're likely not going to see this on your child. My daughter said, mommy, half of me is gone. But if anyone, including myself, you know, looking at her, she wasn't moping around looking broken and forlorn and like half of her is gone. She didn't look that way. She played, which is how they process so much of what they're doing. She was playing. If I tuned in, I'd hear that she was playing about David and she might be singing, oh, how I wish my brother were here. I miss my brother. But she didn't look sad in the way that adults Um, come to expect a person who's grieving to look. And so we really, I would just say to parents and adults, you know, who work with children who have had a loss in their family, you can be sure they are grieving, even if they don't look like it. And you can be sure that they've got questions 
and you can be sure that they've got some fears and some, you know, their world's been upended. They are now around adults who are acting different, and that can be very unsettling. So just acknowledge it with them, assure them that, yes, we are still going to feed the cat. Yes, we are still going to go to school every day. Yes, we are going to go to the playground on the, you know, whatever. We are going to do these things. Um, and just keep it be be an influence for them that is real and as stable as you can be and also you know the other part of this is not beating up on yourself when you're not doing the things you think you know they need it's not at all about being stoic that we really do have that idea that as the adult we have to be strong and we have to be stoic and we can't let any balls drop yeah, you can, you know, you can also say, I know we usually do this, but honey, today I just can't do it. The other thing I thought you were going to say earlier, Laura, when you talked about modeling, and, and I think you were implying this, is that we also are going to be modeling how to take care of ourselves, because you can't just take care of your child all the time. You've got to let them know, yes, mommy really is sad. And you know what? I need to go in my quiet room by myself for a while and you stay out here with, you know, dad or your brother or whatever. And if you really need me, you know where to find me. But I just kind of need to be by myself for a while. That is modeling for them how to get their own needs met. And these are some of the things that they learn out of these out of these kinds of situations that we wish they didn't have to experience but they are going to learn how to handle it, that they are capable and that they can take care of themselves in some ways as well. Which is really empowering is there's an agency there yes. that you can kind of model for kids. And I, I think also sort of when, when we think about parents not being really hard on themselves, that's something else we want to model for kids. None of us would, right. none of us would want our kids to grow up being perfectionists who are hard on mm -hmm. themselves and mm -hmm. who can't give themselves a break. So if we're modeling being able to say, in an ideal world, I would pull that off today. I don't have it in, today is a pajamas and popcorn day or whatever. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And sometimes you have those and modeling actually being okay for mm -hmm. um having those guard down moments or whatever having the big feeling moments having the i just can't do it moments right um, that kind of stuff mm -hmm. do you do you see how do you i've got i've already i already mm -hmm. like episode two i have so many questions um what is it do what are some helpful tools do people make picture books do they put up photos and favorite things of uh, is that is that really very wildly by families what are what are are there tangible ways that are absolutely and you know thank you for mentioning that because in my program good grief parenting i talk about four heartbeats and the first one is those good grief beliefs just getting parents to recognize what good grief is and how to do a little bit differently than what they grew up with the second heartbeat is enduring bonds and it's based a lot on that theory about grief of continuing bonds which is and and that is so important for bereaved siblings because um, 
you know, they have this bond with their sibling that just will never go away. It's just inexplicable and very strong. Their sibling's gone. But yes, keeping pictures, writing memories about, you know, what they like to do with their sibling or what their sibling liked, keeping some of their belongings right here on my chair. I've got uh, my son's Pokemon sweatshirt. You know, we've got some of his belongings around the house where we see them. And this is really important for little ones as well as for adults. And sometimes other people who don't really understand the power and the the healing power of this will kind of say, oh, aren't you being a little, you know, you're keeping these things of your, you know, person right out there. You, you're always talking about them. Don't you think that that's kind of obsessing? Some people look at our memory holding as something that indicates that we're not healing when it's really a, a tool for healing that is so powerful. So absolutely. And with little ones, those are the only memories they're going to have. If you have pictures of your little kids with their siblings or their grandparents or their parent or their their dog that your family loved that there won't they won't grow up with whatever that they can look back at and see themselves in those early years with that relationship in the physical that can be really powerful so yes i i think all of those ways of um carrying that memory forward creating legacies of that person you know maybe there's some something that you always did with them always made these favorite cookies at this particular time or whatever keep doing that and remember this person while you're doing it um you know another way to to keep memories alive is to say if david were here what do you think he'd enjoy the best about Disney World or what do you think he'd enjoy the best about our camping trip or um, you know if David were here what do you think he'd want to do today those kinds of things that really keep that relationship and those memories and that personality of that loved one alive so important well and it also seems to that that then you have avenues for conversation right because so often parents Mm -hmm. don't know how to if you can get past the idea that you need to be talking about it. They're talking about it's healthy. Then the next thing parents want to know is when, I mean, you don't just suddenly say, how are you doing about so-and-so like, well, not if, if you're asking stories right. or commenting on the baseball field or wondering, you know, that he mm-hmm. wouldn't have liked this broccoli dinner, whatever, you know what I mean? That yeah. then there's yeah. a, then that you have a natural foot in the door for kids to ask questions because kids are also worrying if they mention brother, sister, oh. whoever, that that parents will be sad again. We can yes. know that we have big feelings that move on. Kids link funny things to big feelings. So if they share this lovely memory of their brother or whatever, or make a comment that reminds you of something about brother, and then you have a really strong emotional reaction, their brain goes, don't do that again, right? Like the first mm-hmm, time. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they're yeah, protecting that's, that. That's so true. So they are protecting mm-hmm. this, this, you want not to have this be, it's a taboo. What I'm hearing you say is not to have it be a taboo conversation where nobody's, where everybody's tiptoeing. If I mention yes. this, will the other person in this formula 
crumble. Like mm-hmm. that, the, there, there has to be a, a recognition that you create a language, create rituals, mm-hmm. hold memories, make opportunity for conversations. And I also want to back up to one of the one of the reasons I started um, this podcast and do some of the work I do is that I happen to work in largely in communities where kids are really walking distinct journeys. It's not, they're not, the majority of children do not experience some of the other things I do a lot of work in. Mm -hmm. And the, the, these other lovely people (laughs) around our families who mean well Oh, yes. And we die, you know, there's no, I'm not doing parenting Olympics and hard parenting Olympics and competing and comparing with other parents. But oftentimes when I'm supporting parents walking through hard things, a lot of what other people say and judge and do comes up in terms of like my, my sister who doesn't understand, you know, wonders why we do this. And they keep telling us that's too much for our kid and we're making mm-hmm. too big a deal out of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, what, how, how do you help parents and kids, right? Like if they're overhearing, oftentimes little ones may hear grandma say, oh, stop, you know, or you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they may mm-hmm. hear parents disagreeing how to handle this stuff. What mm-hmm. would you suggest mm-hmm. to parents? That's such a good thing to bring up because that is really a huge burden when you're grieving, when you're going through a hardship, you know, parents who have children with particular uh, kinds of needs in parenting, you know, as you're kind of referencing, they need to know that they can trust their own wisdom with their child. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, of course, they need help. That's why they come to you. That's why they come to me. But ultimately, they know that what they're getting from other people is not what they need. They need something else. And they need to be able to tell these people, um, you know, thank you for that for that suggestion, but, but this is what we're going to do right now. And, um, you know, your input isn't helpful to me. I know you're trying to be helpful, but that's not, uh, that's not helpful. This is the way we're going to do it. Thank you. But, you know, we don't need, uh, you know, just say thank you. I mean, really being firm enough, strong enough, confident enough in what you've chosen to do for your family to, to tell other people, And and one phrase I give parents is to say, you know, that's not really helpful right now. Um, This is what we're going to do. Thank you anyway. Or, you know, that kind of response and just be really clear on what you've chosen to do. When children, you talk about kids overhearing because, of course, they do. When you respond that way, that's going to reinforce for your child that mom does know what she's doing, that we are okay, that she, um, you know, she's got this. Grandma thinks she doesn't, but she does because she says, don't worry, I know what I'm doing, you know, whatever. And so, um, but people really do need permission to do that because we're so vulnerable when we have a special uh, circumstance parenting our child there's nothing more important to a parent than parenting well and and giving their child what they need and so we are so vulnerable when other people step in uninvited you know to give us some some idea of how we're supposed to do something and that is so common with families that are grieving that other people say things that are just not helpful and I just really encourage parents that you don't have to 
You don't have to pick up what they're putting down. You don't have to, um, you know, sometimes it can really kind of hook us and it's good to just try to remain unhooked and think, you know, I, I know my child, I know that, that we're getting through this. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be rude to that person, but I'm going to just ask them kindly. I don't need your input. Yeah. And that's empowering for them. Yeah. And, and right. Exactly. Like that's not, not helpful. Yeah. This has been tricky and we found our path. Thanks. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is hard, mm-hmm. which is hard to do when you're, when you don't have a roadmap also, right. When you're yes. inside, you're yes. like, actually, I hope this, but, but, but you're, you know, getting guidance from hopefully getting guidance from places with lived experience, your faith in whatever that looks like, mm-hmm, community in mm-hmm, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm, and trusting mm-hmm. that you are finding the way that a comment on a Tuesday, yes. is, that a reflection on, you know, somebody's worry for you kind of mm-hmm, a thing mm-hmm. really won't derail. And I, I really appreciate your point about the kids watching how you respond to like, mm-hmm. oh, you got this. Yeah, no, it can be tricky, but we found we're, we're figuring it out. That, that whole, we're mm-hmm. figuring it out. Yes. Messaging. Yes, exactly. I love that too. I will share that. That's not one I've shared, but yes, we don't know how to do it, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do it fine. You know? Um, so have, have your own confidence in yourself when other people challenge you. And I do want to bring up one other thing with, with littles that I think, um, can also be such a a sticky wicket. And that is the way that we talk about death, because that's another thing that other people will step in and say zany things to your kids because they think that they're helping this child by really soft peddling what's going on. The, and parents can feel this way too. You, but the very best thing to tell a child is that the person died using the word died. To you and me as adults, that's a big, huge, horrible word that carries all these, you know, all this pain. We know all the implications of it. It isn't that same kind of word to a child who doesn't have our experience, number one. And number two, it's the only word that accurately tells them what happened, not went away, is sleeping, has gone away, these nebulous words. And then you tell them this, your brother died, his body stopped working. He can't do the things he used to be able to do. He can't play with you. He can't talk to you. He can't sing. He can't eat. Um, And we're not going to see him anymore. He's dead. They will grow into what that means as they get older. They will want to have new conversations as they get older. They'll ask you, how did David die what happened? What what did the cancer do to David? You know, they'll ask you questions that they don't ask when they're little, but they will know the word is dead and died. And then you've got all these opportunities with teachable moments to talk about, oh, that little bird that's lying at the bottom of the nest, that bird fell out of the nest and see how he's not moving and he can't fly. He's dead. You know, remember when we talked about that, you can keep kind of showing them examples in their day-to-day life. And we don't, I I choked on the sentence, my son died 
David died. I didn't want to attribute that verb to him, but I had to, and that's what Deanna had to learn to say, and that's, you know, that's what happened. She learned the reality of that word much earlier than I ever wanted her to, but it was there. That's And it's interesting, I was just thinking about that, because oftentimes they'll say, um, yeah, went to sleep. It didn't wake up. I'm like, no, because then they won't Mm want to sleep. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to go to sleep. And I don't want my mom (laughs) to go to sleep or my. Yeah. Right. Or and also being careful, being thoughtful about sick because Mm -hmm. like, right, like being sick with cancer because because then the next time one of you sneezes in the household. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then there's some I mean, it doesn't mean you can't talk about sickness. But yeah. but you wanna you I would imagine just being direct about the idea that this was a big sick if you you know it was a big sickness yeah. your doctors yeah. did everything they could to help because what about this help blame one of the things that that struck me I worked in an elementary school years ago and the, and the beloved principal died and he died sleep in his sleep and they couldn't cancel school fast enough because it was early morning when the word got mm. out so every this principal had been the principal for many 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 years and was beloved. And so kids were arriving on campus at this elementary school with families and everybody getting the news that the principal had died. And I spent that day triaging seven and eight-year-old kids who were beside themselves and saying things like, if I had waved to him yesterday in the parking lot. Yes. And, and I was like, and it was early in my career at the time. I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. how can they yes. possibly... So, so taking some time to, I don't know if this resonates with you, but I would imagine taking some time to say it isn't anybody's fault. Nobody did anything wrong. Um, yes. You know, and even, and don't, and don't wait for kids necessarily to let you know they're thinking that because that's a developmental piece for that age where they, you know, they are egocentric and they, their thinking is that they, you know, that they cause the things around them. And so, yes, just to say, and, um, you know, nobody could have done anything to to make this not happen. You, If you're in a family with a close relationship with a child where, you know, they may have gotten mad at their brother the day before or whatever, um, you did not do anything. It is not your fault. And don't just say it once. Say it again. Remind them again. There's nothing that anyone could have done you did not do anything um and back to what you were saying earlier you're right we often do say someone died because they were sick we usually would say very very sick many times people are sick and they don't die remember when i had a cold i didn't die you know people don't always die when they're sick but we are that is going to be connected with death sometimes the other thing that's going to be connected with death sometimes is getting old and so then we want to say sometimes when people get very 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 old you know it's not just oh, I'm going to be 10 next week, you know, or my brother's going to be 10. Is he going to die? No, because now he's going to be old, you know. Um, So, yeah, those are some things. And kids just need for us to slip that into um, just like what we were saying earlier, just slipping mention of these things into your day-to-day conversations with people. You know, oh, we're so sad David died and and there was nothing anyone could do. His body just stopped working. You know, just as you're kind of 
changing your conversation around it in your family to address what you know is going on in these really young minds because they are going to view the loss in some ways that that we don't even realize unless we're intentional about how they would process it at that age so thanks for bringing that up that's just really important yeah i think that that and that's to me one of the big things that differentiates the the younger kids is Mm -hmm. is that being aware of how egocentric they are and that they're going to think that the yellow flower they picked the day before and and again to an adult brain you're like that is really bizarre but kid brain chains thing it links events together that's how they Mm -hmm. learn thankfully right brains explode Mm -hmm. by making all these connections unfortunately what that means for littles is their brain makes connections we don't intend that aren't helpful if we're not Mm -hmm. if we're not in conversation about or making sure Mm -hmm. we're clear and Mm -hmm. the same for language right same Mm -hmm. thing for language if you're using a metaphoric word for death your kid your child is not going to understand that most likely Right. And, and the, I think it also bring, it leans into how parents, it may hold a mirror for parents to think about how they talk about death, not only the language they use, but what they think happens when someone dies. Because I, yes. I know in speaking recently, I was mentioning to you, Ohana Oasis, I just did uh, an interview um, and she was talking about the numbers of people of her who mentioned uh, to her that her child was in a better place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and to say that in front of a, another kid, like to so be thinking about what that language might mean to a better place to a four-year-old is Chuck E. Cheese or is yes, the exactly. And then house. I want to go there too. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yeah. and and um, you know, families have different beliefs, and so sometimes we do say some of these things where we just think it's kind of a universal um, idea. And it isn't. I mean, not all families have the same idea of what happens after death. This is a time to to really be intentional about what you share with a child. And and so, and the other thing I was going to bring up with what you were saying earlier is this also is why it's so important to talk to children and ask them what they think. If they ask you, a, sometimes they're going to ask you a question question that feels like it's out of left field you don't know what they and then you know you don't know the answer or maybe you do try to answer it before you answer it say why are you asking me that or what made you think about that and you may be amazed at what they tell you it may not be at all what you thought they were thinking and if you had answered it without asking them that you may have just fed some crazy idea or you may have just confused them more because it was totally off you know what they were thinking of so ask them what they're thinking if you you know if they say what happens when you die you might want to start with well what do you think happens and let them tell you so you know what they've heard and then you can uh, reinforce what you want them to take away from that understanding and that gives you as an the adult you know more control over the narrative too because your child is going to be hearing things when you're not around you know when they're around other kids under other families other 
quote unquote, well-meaning adults are going to say things. Um, so tapping into what your child is thinking by just asking them in a conversation, well, what do you think that means? Or what do you think about that? Or, you know, those kinds of questions that let them share. I, yeah. And that's a, a beautiful place to kind of start wrapping up. It's so, I mean, both of those things, right. To make sure you're making space for conversation with your child and really being able to sit and ask open-ended questions. You're mm -hmm. creating a sense that you can handle what's happening. You're, you're a leader, but that doesn't mean you're stoic and distant. Mm -hmm. You are mm -hmm. safe even when you stumble and that we need permission to be able to talk about what these enduring bonds look like. Being mindful of language, I think it doesn't mean, I mean, I don't want people to feel paralyzed that if they've said the wrong thing, now they've done irreparable damage. That's mm -hmm. not what this is about either, right? Because you're going to mm -hmm. have a million chances over the course of your parenting right. journey right. To, to spiral towards something that, that feels better. So I would say one of the other important things is to really try to direct parents toward the the younger kid ages if you have younger siblings your three-year-old's going to need something different than your 11-year-old and your 16-year-old and look for things like good grief um resources uh, designed for kids the the language the, the literal language of kids the egocentricity of little kids and the way they show up differently in their grief than than mm -hmm. we've been programmed all of which we've talked about today i think really reinforce the need to have folks like you who've dedicated time and energy to that intersection of of not just grief but grief with littles when you're in yes. charge of that little uh mm -hmm. and so i'm super grateful we'll put all the links and everything to how to find you and i would love to have you back for a follow-up conversation it's really um, yes i'd be happy to come back really mm -hmm. generous in in the in the tips and thoughts for parents and i'm sure mm -hmm. i mean my hope is that it it can help give some glimmer of a roadmap in a time that is, mm -hmm. um, you know, where, where, where foundations and some grounding pieces um, will hopefully be helpful. So thank you very much, Michelle. And I do have a resource yes. called the good grief guide. It's available for free on my website, goodgriefparenting.com. And it does help parents with a lot of those ways of thinking about grief that we can adjust to be, you know, more helpful and healthy. And also some real specific tips for how to work, you know, how to support kids and talk to kids through grief. So that would be a good support for any adult who wants to know how to support a young child through grief of any kind. Awesome. The tips and scripts are what I'm all about because it's yes. so, we know, right? As parents, you're like, yeah, hey, I get that. And then you're standing in front of your kid. You're like, Bleh. so this is, <laughs> we're hoping to minimize some of the moments that we Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. I appreciate having been here today. Yeah. And I would love to come back. So wonderful. All right. It's a, it's a plan. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlaraanderson.com 
www.thepodcastmag.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places, and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.